Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Still having a great time here in the drivehubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd with Jimmy Cooks and Eddie Garrison. This is 107.5-93.5, The Fan, Midday Show. We have the Dean, the Godfather, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Chappell, who covers the Colts for Fox 59 on the line. Chap, what was your reaction to the schedule and maybe having it so front-loaded with division games yet again? Yeah, we had this last year. Uh, was it five of the first seven? Mm-hmm. And we sat here this time last year, and we're thinking we're going to find out real quick. Uh, these guys remember after as bad as the season was, people forget that th- this team was a slight favorite to win the AFC South, mm-hmm. not locally, but but by Vegas and everybody else. And you really kind of thought, with so many questions that they had, that we would have a real good idea what they would be and you know we were thinking that they would they would be a contender and they showed us otherwise uh so but but this is a chance again it, it's a chance to, to kind of set set the tone on what you can be even with a, you know a team that changes and maybe a young quarterback it's still you know you look at it in jacksonville if you're if you're gonna do anything you got to be jacksonville you got them at home I'd rather have a team like Jacksonville at home early before you know before maybe they've gotten their act together and I don't know. They're still the team to beat. But then you've got your at Houston and I'm sorry, if if you can't if if you're not up to snuff to beat Houston and they weren't last year, then what are you? They they're in more rebuild mode than the Colts are. But then you're at Baltimore, then you're home against the Rams in Tennessee. I it's there again. If, if this team can come out and, and be competitive and not do some of the dumb stuff it did, like playing, coaching, all of that last year, it could be an interesting year. Or they can get behind the eight ball and playing catch-up with a, with a young quarterback and a new coach is not the way you want to go into this season. Chap, to build off James' question there, you're going to have to talk me down a bit because I'm a little bit more frustrated with the early makeup of this schedule than James is. And and here's why. A couple years ago, and I know circumstances are different with this franchise because a couple years ago there was still thoughts of, okay, they're in contention for the South. They still believe they're in a championship window, yada, yada, yada. And they had scheduled two games against the Titans within the first like eight weeks of the season. Like We didn't get out of the month of October before the series with the Titans was done and they've done the right. same thing here with Jacksonville I, maybe you don't know the answer to this so maybe you can just you know at the very least tell me that I need to quit losing my marbles about <laughs> it but I, I don't understand with the way the NFL does the scheduling process why you wouldn't want to have like they did a, a flurry of games spread out around the division in the early goings and then save those second matchups for the back end I, I don't know. There's a there's a rhyme and a reason that why they do things. I think there've been years. I haven't got my schedule here where they did have a lot of games late. Uh, 
I, I understand your your frustration. I guess I would rather have them early. Yeah. I just would. I, I, I guess the idea is you're going to get the the idea is to get better as the season goes on and get the quarterback. You know, get things under his feet. Whether it's even if it's Minshew, but I would rather kind of have them early, especially when you've got Jacksonville at home. And we, we don't we know we know how hard it is to play on the road against Jacksonville. But I, I guess I'd rather know early on what I've got uh, in Houston. At Houston, you know that, that was going to be the the way that they broke their their winless season opener string last year, and they couldn't even do that. I, I guess the tie was a was a nice step forward over over what they had been doing. So yeah, I, I, I normally don't get too bent out of shape over the schedule. Sometimes it, it's, it looks a little harder than it was. And again, if you, if you look at it, what is it based on last year's records? It's the fourth easiest schedule, right? Yep. Uh, in the league, well, that, that's a reflection of of playing in the AFC South and playing against the NFC South, right? But, but probably the two, you know, worst divisions in the league. But you just play them, and you, you just hope that that they they show you something early. And, and and this is going to be, I think, in most people's eyes, a, a learning season anyway. But boy, you want to, you don't want all the lessons to be. Well, we, we blew that one because of this. We blew that one because of this. You know, play well. And, and normally, if you play well, you know, you win your share. And it's the old thing about. I know Tony Dungy's the first one that really said it right here. Is more games are lost than won. And boy, didn't we see that last year around this team. To clarify, I'm totally with you out of the gate. Like, I love the home matchup with Jacksonville, and I'm fine with going on the road right away to get a barometer for where this team is against Houston because I completely agree with you. You're right. This feels like a roster that is further along than where Houston is right now. My my main issue is, and again, I'm not even mad about the Titans in Week 5. It's just playing Jacksonville the proverbial favorite right now at least this year for the first time in a long time and having that season series done before we get to even thanksgiving let alone the month of november is the part i'm I'm more frustrated about i guess i'd like that division storyline extended a little bit towards the back half of the season understood i was looking here real quick in 2020 they played five of their last or three of their last five were were division games Mm. Uh, you know, in 18, it was three of the last five. So it, it just sort of rolled in here in 2017. Four of the last six were against the division. So I, I, I don't know if it's just a cycle they're in. Uh, I'm sure that the part of the schedule that the, that the Colts are most PO'd about is no prime time games. Yeah. And, and if I'm the Colts, I, I don't know what my argument is other than, Hey, we should be on prime time because the, the, and the, and the thing that really, the reason they're not is because the league finally, everybody's not given a Thursday night game. You know, they, they, they've changed that. If you, there were twice in the last, I don't know what it's been six or seven years where the Colts only prime time game was that Thursday night game. And what would they have last year? Four or five? primetime games yep uh so yeah it, it, that's the one that, that they're most i'm sure upset about but again after the season you had and a couple of those games were prime time 
meltdowns. I don't think Minnesota, but Minnesota an afternoon game, a four o'clock game, I think, mm-hmm. on a Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you earn, you earn, you know, you earn prime time and you earn one o'clock games. <laughs> you, you do. What do they got? Thir- uh, Thirteen one o'clock games, I think it is right now. Twelve or thirteen, and you weren't those for a reason. They put you in the one o'clock clock slot because you're not. There's not a lot of hype around you. That we had this several years ago. I don't know whether it was twelve or thirteen or whatever it was. And one o'clock games, which I tell you, selfishly, I love one o'clock games. <laughs> there you <laughs> go, chap. Give me, give me, give me seventeen games. Uh, but normally the schedule, you earn what you get. Now there's been some exceptions, Dallas. You know, they got prime time. The Raiders. Denver got four. It's just who's that? Who's got four? Denver got four. Yeah, and and that's the Sean Payton, right? He's gonna, he's going to save Russell Wilson, which I understand what the league does, but but then the league deserves it when late in the season it's Denver and somebody and Denver's awful and Russell Wilson's awful again, but they, they make up the, they 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 have reasons for what they do. Uh, and you're always going to get the Mahomes, and this year Aaron Rodgers. You're going to get those high pr- for a reason. They're, they're a draw. They're a draw on on TV, even even when they're not playing well. You know, Aaron Rodgers. We're in Green Bay always had it seemed like a, a, an inordinate number of prime time games because they're the stars, and that's what the, the NFL is a, is a star driven league. Chap, last time we talked, you were saying that Anthony Richardson represents hope, and Jim Irsay really rides the hope train. I got my introduction to that last season with the two Lombardi talk. Leaving like my second day on the job, I was like, wow, this is uh, bold. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, not two Lombardis, but how important do you think it is for this team, this upcoming season, to beat Houston and beat the, the Titans? I feel like that's Ursay, you know, at the very least, he wants to be able to say he beat one of those teams, if not both of them. If you got to give him his druthers, it'd be Tennessee. He, he's, mm. you know, he, he, he really, he, he knows it over the past, whatever it's been, four or five years. This, this has been Tennessee's division with, with Vrabel and Tannehill and, 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 and Derrick Henry. But now it's Jacksonville. It just is, you, you just, we, we've been kind of snookered by Jacksonville over the past where, hey, maybe this is a year. And then they go three and 13. Well, I think I think they've got it together. They've got the young quarterback. They got a coach. They've got young studs on both sides of the ball. Difference makers. That, that's again. That's what this league is. It's how many guys do you have that can turn a game? And they've got a handful. The Colts don't. The Colts need that. So yeah, it it, it all starts. And we get tired of hearing it, but, but it all starts in in, in the division. You, you win your division, you got a home game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a home game. I don't care how bad your season is, eight nine win your division, you got a home game, and then who knows? So that that's why it's important again to come out of the gate, and, and I don't want to say be competitive against Jacksonville. That's not going to to beat Jacksonville, and doggone, go down to Houston, and it's just, it still boggles my mind that they were oh one and one against Houston last year. <laughs> I mean, you think really? Uh, and, and how much that last game meant to the draft order and everything that happened. It's just unacceptable. It just is. He knows it. And, again, you're in, you're not in the AFC or the NFC East that's just loaded. You're in a division that if you play – if they played well last year, 
I mean, just win the games they should have and not choked on games. They might have won the division as 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 flawed as they were. You know, they, they might mm-hmm. have won that division. So it's it's still. I, I don't want to say they're they're. It's a winnable division now for these guys. I I don't know that they're that far along. But doggone, go out there and at home, hold serve, go to Houston and and show that you're further along than they are. And uh, so yeah, I, I think that's really important. The Baltimore thing, it's it's important to the owner because of the Baltimore tie, but that that pales in comparison to anything in the AFC South. So yeah, be a factor in the AFC South. You know, it's, it's the baby steps. Get get your house in order in the AFC South, and then see what you can do elsewhere. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS4 here with us on the Fan Midday Show Chap, you mentioned that the bulk of the weightlifting for the strength of schedule is being done by the AFC South, which obviously the Colts can't control that. That's the division that they're in. And the NFC South being there on paper. When you look at the schedule as it's lined up, not necessarily when Anthony Richardson will be under center, but when all the talk of repetition is there, and even though these are still high-quality players in terms of they've earned their right into the NFL, does that modify or maybe make things an easier pill to swallow to throw him out there at some point knowing that you know I know it's the NFL I understand that there's no weeks off but it's not like they're going to play a murderer's row of the AFC West this year yeah I I really don't think that's going to factor in I I think when the kid's ready he plays I, I just do and again James there listen to the owner and listen to Steichen and mm-hmm they both they, they both pounded repetitions, repetitions, and they're not talking, you know, practice and, and preseason. They're, they're talking reps. You need reps, and and the, and he needs reps. It's just that as long as he's ready, can protect himself, and and they can protect him to some degree with the offensive line, which we're not going to know until preseason. We, we just won't because you, you just can't tell that much in uh, in training camp, even when. The Bears come in here for joint work. There's only so much you can see. You, you can see some, but I, I, I don't know if the schedule really impacts. A lot of times, if you're going to work a quarterback in, it's, well, let's kind of get to the bye. Well, they're not going to wait till November. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So, I, you know, I, I think when he's ready, he plays. And I've said all along, and I've mentioned to James and the guys in the press room, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Gardner Minshew will be more ready to play than Richardson in September. But but how you know how ready is Richardson? And if he's kind of ready, I just don't know what sitting another two weeks yes. in the regular season matters. Because once the se- once the season starts, it's really hard. It's it's really hard to get the number two guy any meaningful reps. Because it, when you do that, you're, you're you're taking away stuff from your starter who needs the reps to get ready for the next week's game. So I don't know how waiting 
another month will matter because that the young kid won't get the type of reps he needs. And if he does, then you're doing a disservice to Gardner Minshew. We've had one or two instances over the last several years where one year we thought Jacoby Brissett was going to play, but he had a knee injury and we thought he was going to play. So he practiced most of the week and then he didn't play. They found out Friday he couldn't play. And then he threw Brian Hoyer out there and he was awful because he wasn't prepared. So it, it, if, if he's ready, he, he, he plays because I don't know how much more meaningful work he can get done once the season starts. Chap, you've been, like I said, covering the team for quite a while now. Um, got any memories from traveling abroad and any tips for me as I do my first trip? I'll be planning that later today on our uh, trip advisor. Stephen Holder didn't help me much yesterday. <laughs> um, kind of just threw me to the wolves. So I'm hoping you're a little kinder. <laughs> we had a good time. It's a long trip. I can't, I can't think what the trip was. Was it six hours? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Now, we went. I've been to Tokyo. And that was a long ass trip. Man. I'm telling you, but no, it, it wasn't that bad, and you'll enjoy it. I'm, I'm hoping to go, so you can buy you can buy me dinner <laughs> in, in Germany. Uh, but it, it, it's a great experience. Again, the, the one of the great things that I've taken from covering this team is is having is being able to go places. I never would have gone to Tokyo. I never would have gone probably to London. You know, Toronto, Canada. You know, who cares? Mexico City was a pain in the ass, but but I really enjoyed London. I, I think we're going to enjoy Germany. I really do. So no, it's just you just kind of uh, one thing you need to, to learn now that you're working more and more with Bob Kravitz is don't lose your receipts <laughs> when you come home. Overseas, don't lose your receipts. <laughs> That's something of an inside joke with Bob. But no, it, it'll be a great time, and hopefully we'll all enjoy and go out to have dinner one night before the game. For sure, for sure. Chap, you mentioned my next question a little bit ago, which is a story that you wrote on Fox 59. Dean Mike Chappell takes some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. We now have a clear picture for who will be a part of training camp routine for the Indianapolis Colts. It's the Chicago Bears. You highlighted a number of different reasons as to why the move makes sense. You obviously have the Matt Eberflus connection. You have Chris Bauer and Ryan Poles uh, from their time, Bears GM Ryan Poles, from their time together in Kansas City. Uh, What went into this move as a whole? And me and James were joking about it probably unintentionally but it's human nature the immediate thought in my head went anthony richardson justin fields this, this could be it'll be a fun couple <laughs> days of training camp yeah it's it's always had that and again we, we really don't get in kind of a peek in how the preseason schedules are arranged but over the last whatever it's been seven or eight years uh, except for covid a lot of teams that second preseason game they go to joint workouts and i think coaches really really embrace uh, that that joint work as long as you can do it without having, you know, fights, which you're going to have some scuffles, but that we've had we've had out-and-out out brawls up at Westfield a couple of <laughs> times. But it's really important because, again, you get you get tired of leaning on people you see all the time, so you, you get different looks. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be a great two days. What the game is, is it a Saturday game? So they'll come in probably Wednesday, Thursday, I assume it would be, and it's great time, and that's what we can talk about it later when we get closer. But that's why training camp is golden for fans who many of them can't can't afford 
what it costs to go to games, let alone season tickets. And, boy, you can get up there and you see these players up close without their helmets. And now you get the Bears coming in. And this, this is still a strong Bears stronghold on, on, on a fan base. But uh, it, it'll be a great two days and very valuable for the team. Yeah, I learned my lesson uh, last summer when I came for joint practice with the Colts and the Lions. And I got there early, like I always do, but maybe not early enough. And I parked, I believe, like a mile away from where everyone was. Because I was like, whoa, like I thought I was early, but I, I didn't know I had to be here at like crack of dawn early. So, Well, it's, it's amazing how the media lot gets full with non-media people. Yeah, you know, I start to slash a few tires, chat, but I was like, you know what, I like to keep my record clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you do it, yeah, I don't know how you do it without getting caught, because I'm sure you got a security cam. Yeah, it's, the, the problem is, it's because we're sharing that time with the Indy 11, and I think, yeah, they, they've been practicing during that time, and then you, they allow the volunteer folks, God love them, seriously, to park there, so it, it's difficult, and I'm not sure who, not sure how early is too early there because people get there early so they can park and you're you just I guess you learned that in your first year. I did and you know I'm I'm learning chap as long as they have a a, a spot for you we're all good. I got I got these young <laughs> yeah. legs, as my dad says, and his favorite saying is twenty anything is still young." So, twenty seven. So if he, if I told him <laughs> that I want to walk, you know, he would be like, you know, you're not my son. So um, I'm learning. <laughs> Chap, last yeah, thing. Go ahead. Go, no, you're okay. Go ahead. No, again, I, I get it. It's we we joke so, sort of about the training camp, and you know, you can park far away, but. What a great setup because, you know, our, our, our media place is, mm-hmm. gosh, 100 yards from the practice facility. It's, it's it's really set up well. And occasionally, you know, they, they'll feed us. So it's for us to bitch and moan about things at training camp. We're really sorry, people, because it's really a great setup. Mm-hmm. Chap, last thing from us. I know I'm making you step outside your lane a little bit, but, but James mentioned it earlier, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it at least in passing, that tonight's the NBA draft lottery. Uh, Pacers never had, or never selected, rather, from the number one spot. Uh, Victor Wembanyama is talked about as, as the next great prospect out of the NBA. If the Pacers were to win the lottery tonight and have a number one pick to make in june i know the nfl's king but where would that rank or does that touch anything in terms of the great sports history that this state provides oh it'd be great it'd be again this fan base you know sometimes the media is hard on it because they're they're they don't expect a ton from teams but all you all you have to do for the local fan base colts pacers and all that is give them a reason to believe and give them a reason to, to to really think there's something there, and that would do wonders. This is already a – again, I watch a little bit of them. I don't watch start to finish a whole lot with the Pacers, but they're fun. They're exciting. They shoot threes. Like, if you don't shoot threes in the NBA now, you can't play. Uh, it, 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 you talk about being an older guy. They're guarding people now where you never used to guard people. <laughs> I mean, it's inc- you have to guard somebody 30 feet from the basket. But getting the first pick, it just would be incredible, the excitement, the enthusiasm, which means they won't get it. But I think it would be great if they did. It would, it would inject a great amount of enthusiasm into this fan base. Well, I'll tell you, Chap, I'm keeping everything positive. Thanks for coming on the show today. But I promise you, well, I can't promise you, but I'm hoping <laughs> to promise you, Wimby to Indy, you know, a few hours here. I'm looking forward to it.
All right, Chap. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Chap. See you guys. That's Mike Chapel covering the Colts for Fox 59. Been here for forever. The guy is like an encyclopedia. And it's pretty funny because he does it unintentionally. Like, you bring up a stat, Chap will be the first person to say, oh, not so fast because in 19, you know, <laughs> 87, this happened. And so that's been great. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. From the DriveHuber.com studio, it is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd with Eddie Garrison. Our next guest is the recruiting director for ESPN's 100 rankings for high school recruits. He also is heavily involved in the college basketball and NBA game as well. A former coach of the year in the Horizon League at Wright State. He's one of our favorites. He is Paul Biancardi. Nice enough to take some time with us. Coach, first off, thanks so much for making the time as always. And second, I knew I had to reach out to you and wanted to have you on the show this week when the Hoosiers were able to land Mackenzie Mbaco for their 2023 class. Walk us through that process, Coach, and what it's going to do for Indiana this year because it seemed like up until the very late stages he was going to be headed to Kansas. I think at the very end it came down to Kansas and Indiana, and that's what he told me uh, right before he made his announcement. He said it was close, trying to figure out which program that he could best fit into. He makes um, no mistake about it. He wants to be a one-and-done prospect, which he has that opportunity if he plays to his ability. And uh, he just felt at the end of the day that Indiana offered him a bigger and better role than he would have had at Kansas. Coach James Boyd here. What do you think of the job Mike Woodson has done so far? And maybe how does a guy like Jalen Hutchifino being one and done influence other guys to say, hey, I can go here, do my thing, and, and move on? Well, I think it impacts it tremendously. Anytime you recruit, a lot of guys recruit NBA players and then they move them along to the NBA and a great selling point. Uh, but when you get somebody coming in who's not a one-and-done prospect and a NBA prospect over the course of time but develops ahead of schedule, uh, th- that's a feather in your cap in recruiting, and that, that points to simply player development, uh, relationship building, everything that you need to do as a head coach and a staff to get someone to kind of go ahead of their timeline. Now, I know Jalen hood Shafino very well. He finished inside our ESPN uh, top 100, inside the top 25. Tremendous work ethic, laser focus, great defender coming out of high school, and a facilitator and driver. The jump shot was capable, but it wasn't consistent. And he just took on a leadership role at Indiana. When you do that at Indiana as a freshman and you do well uh, and the team wins, uh, that gets you to where you need to be. The outlook heading into this offseason after the NCAA tournament ended for for Mike Woodson's group was this was going to be a heavy portal year, right, with how the emphasis is on the transfer portal and being able to have quick turnarounds in terms of balancing between recruiting class cycles while also trying to you know still stay competitive and live up to the expectations at Indiana. When you look at where their overall class was, both recruiting and transfer-wise, and then you add in Mbako 
How does that change? I don't want to say the expectations, but how does that change the makeup of what Indiana is likely to be heading into your preseason rankings when we get to that point? Well, as you said, the expectations at Indiana are always going to be high. Right. I at Ohio State for seven years, and uh, my time up in Bloomington, uh, they expected to win, and when they didn't win that game, um, you know, <laughs> it was a bad scene up there when you don't win. Um, if you're the home team, now if you're the road team, there's not too many places better than Assembly Hall to win a game, I can tell you that. Uh, I love the roster next year. Now, when you look at who's returning, okay, nobody's returning with double-figure points averaging. Malik Renew, uh, Galloway, Caleb Banks, you know, all guys that have scored less than 10 points a game. But it's a really solid group. Uh, expected to return. I think Xavier Johnson um, is still up there uh, in the mix. And um, I I like the newcomers a lot. I I like what they bring because they bring talent. They bring toughness. uh, They bring um, a proven uh, ability. You look at Peyton Sparks out of Ball State. Anthony Walker, not a lot of points per game, but he's a long athletic defending foreman who can finish in transition. Khalil Weir. I mean, he's just scratching the surface, guys. He he has as much upside as anybody coming back to college basketball. He only averaged six, six and a half points per game, I believe, at Oregon. He is a legitimate low post and face-up threat who can protect the rim with Anthony Walker. And and then you add Mackenzie Mbaco. Let's talk about him for a minute. This guy made his name in the high school game shooting threes and mid-range. That's what he does best. And he also can get on the glass. I mean, he is physically put together defensively at the college level, could could defend a three, a four, and in a five, a five-man in a pinch. So he gives them scoring punch and some defensive versatility. And he has an element of toughness to him. I, I watched him extensively at the McDonald's All-American game in practice, drills, the scrimmage in the game. Uh, he knows what he's good at, and he's great at shooting the basketball. So one thing I want to touch on, you talked about, you know, having the ability to affect the game in multiple ways and get on the glass and things like that. How do you think Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady, you know, guys who might have question marks or holes in their game, how big do you think this week is for them at the Combine to at least get in front of NBA scouts, even if they don't get drafted very high or where they want to go? How important do you think this week is just for their future in general, whether it's you know going an undrafted route or doing whatever they can to get an opportunity to go to the next level? It's huge. It's huge. Anytime you play in front of decision makers, I mean, you, you get a chance to make an impression. But for Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady, what they need to do is, is what I just mentioned. They need to be great at what they're good at. Mm. If they go into the combine trying to say, well, i got to show these guys I can shoot it, I got to show these guys I can handle it. I got to show these guys I can be an assist maker. Uh, when you try to prove yourself to other people, I, th- I think you, you don't play well. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. I think if you go there and you play to your strengths and show everybody what you do well, uh, that's when you're having a chance to impress. And, and when you do that, then teams get more comfortable and confident in their decision-making because they're going to draft you based on what you can do uh, everybody knows what you can't do, but they're trying to plug you into their their team, their rotation, their locker room. The interviews are very important uh, for the NBA Combine situation because when they do the interviews, they get to know a lot about the person. They already know a lot about each guy. Uh, they ask a lot of questions, but they already know the answer. So they're trying to they're trying to gauge personality. They're trying to gauge the traits 
of the players. And that's as big a part as the actual uh, scrimmaging and, and certainly more important than the drills. Paul Biancardi with us, Director of Recruiting for ESPN's College Basketball, as well as an NBA Draft Analyst. I want to go back to the Hoosiers for just a second, Paul, because you know I, I went there. I, I understand that Hoosier <laughs> fans in general, the expectations are, 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 are raising another banner and they're sky high, much like any other perennial contender. I, I'm not going to ask you to say, are they going to the Final Four with this roster or anything like that? But, but when you look at the offseason they've had, I know you highlighted each of the players individually I'm more optimistic or maybe more excited for this fall, not just because of Mbaka, but just because of bringing in where, because of what this class could look like than I was after realizing, oh, you know, Jalen Huchifino is going to be gone. Race Thompson is going to be out of there. Trace Jackson Davis is gone. Where should expectations be for a program that's always going to have championship expectations? Yeah, you guys don't think there's another team on the court when you play. Right? <laughs> there's only one team on the court. Exactly. The well, I think they're going to be in the top, you know, three or four in terms of the Big Ten, um, and obviously they have postseason um, aspirations, which I think they'll hit. And then once you get in the postseason, and, and you know this from from studying the game so much, the regular season is one season. The conference tournament is entirely different. And then you've got the postseason situation where you've got matchups, emotion, injuries. So many things have to go right uh, at the end of the season. But I think Indiana can have a, a strong year. Uh, I think Mike Woodson, you asked me about uh, what I thought. I had a chance to spend some time with Mike Woodson at, at a couple of coaching clinics over the years, um, four or five years ago. And, you know, I just had a chance to gravitate to him. He, he's, he's an easy guy to gravitate to, to relate with. Uh, he worked for the Knicks. He worked for Tom Thibodeau, and Tom Thibodeau was my college coach. And so, you know, his knowledge of the game from his own coaching, the people he's been with, the Larry Browns of the world, uh, and the love and the real genuine passion he has for Indiana basketball. I mean, you talk about the right guy, the right fit at the right time. You know, Mike Woodson is the man for Indiana. So, obviously, the NBA draft lottery is Coming up tonight, I know you're going to be locked into that. Pacers fans here in Indianapolis are very excited to see if they get their hands on Victor Womanyamba or someone else. <laughs> I'll keep you know hashtagging Wimby to Indy, Indy until, until I can't anymore. But jokes aside, one two players I want to ask about was the uh, Thompson twins. How do you, yeah. as a draft analyst, gauge where they are when they're playing in a sort of unique league that's still relatively new and maybe it isn't as easy to say okay he did this against this blue blood program or he did this against professionals yeah. in a different league like the you know G League Ignite what about this overtime elite league are you looking at and trying to gauge with those two players in particular well first of all I saw both twins early in high school before they left for overtime elite so I had a really good knowledge uh, base of both of them as freshmen and sophomores in high school. And then obviously you have a chance to watch them on film a lot. Uh, they're, they're, they're tremendous in terms of athletic ability and their basketball IQ. Uh, that's where they stick out. And being at Overtime Elite, uh, those two areas have stayed as their calling card. Uh, they've improved. They've become even more competitive than they were. Uh, they're excellent defenders. But your question is a good one because they're playing against each other for the most part. They have some other teams at Overtime Elite, and then they go play some uh, different high school teams uh, from time to time. So you have a chance to watch those games. And, you know, you, you catch them on film a lot, and, and they seem to stick out every game. 
And, and that's what you, when you're talking about a top five draft pick, you have to make sure that you know that guy is the best player in the game at all times. And what I love about both twins is that they can impact the game. They can contribute. Uh, they can do what the coach wants and what the team needs without scoring. And I think that's huge. Paul, I'm going to ask you a question that might get all of us in trouble, and I'm going to hide under the desk after I ask it. And, and my co-host here, James Boyd, is probably going to get mad at me as well. But since we have you here, I have to ask, is there any weaknesses or negativity about Victor Wembanyama that might lead to him not being the franchise golden goose that he's being portrayed as and as we've seen through his time playing overseas? Well, I've watched him a lot on film, and I had a chance to interview him in August live in France. Uh, we were out there for Bronny James and Sierra Canyon in a tour of London, um, Paris, and Rome. And when we were in uh, Paris, and we had a chance to see his club work out and, and go through some drills, and then we interviewed him during our game, the Bronny James game. Uh, I can tell you this from spending a day with him, uh, he's as impressive off the court as he is on the court. But what could stop him? The only thing I can possibly think of at this point in time is complacency. And, but I sense none of that right now. He's extremely humble. Uh, he's, an, he's a worker. He's a great learner. He, he asks a lot of questions, and then he soaks in the answer. He can process it really well. So you've read about all the outstanding skill. Uh, you, you read about the length and the size and the, the eight-foot wingspan and the touch. The basketball IQ is tremendous. Uh, he needs to learn how to play through physicality. That's going to be an issue the first year, but it won't be a big issue. If complacency creeps in over time, uh, that could prevent him from being what everyone thinks he can be, which is you know, an NBA all-star and, and certainly a franchise-changing talent uh, that can lead a, a franchise to an NBA championship. The other draft question I had for you, Paul Biancardi of ESPN, nice enough to take some time with us here on the fan, is let's say we play it out where the Pacers don't end up with the number one pick, and, and we, we get it. The odds are against us as much positivity as we want to try to speak into existence for this city and the state. We get it. When you look at the rest of this class, I know that James already asked you about the Thompson twins, but you look at guys like Brandon Miller, guys like Scoot Henderson, guys like Anthony Black. How much talent is there outside of the the top three, top four of this draft, assuming that's where the Pacers end up? Well, I, first of all, I think that when you talk about Victor Wembanyama, I mean, that's that's a franchise changing right, right away. So I, I think then you go two through five, and those are impactful. Uh, draft picks. Those are guys that can certainly be all NBA All-Stars, uh, certainly going to be NBA starters, either right away or, or in time. And those are the guys you want to heavily invest with. And so I think that's where the two through five go. And, um, you know, and then you, you take a look after six through eight, you know, then there's guys that are, that are excellent that can, that can be NBA All-Stars. But I, you look at Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, the Thompson Twins, those guys get me excited if I was an NBA GM because they can all come in and, and change the direction of your program or franchise or elevate it. You know, look at the Pacers, right? They went from, I think it was 25 wins to 35 wins this year. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, that is tremendous. But to go from 35 to 40, 45, that's going to be the hard part. So any one of those guys that I mentioned will, will help 
uh, elevate that program. You have a phenomenal, I think, general manager in Chad Buchanan. Had a chance to know him when he was with the Charlotte Hornets and the Portland Trailblazers. I put a lot of trust in Chad with his draft picks. So you mentioned Scoot Henderson a little bit. Obviously, he's been the player looked at as the one who would be the number one pick if Victor Wimbanyamba wasn't in this year's class. How good is he to be a 6'2 guard and considered like a no-brainer at the top of the board? Well, he, he's actually 6'3 with close to a 6'10 wingspan, and, and I think he would be the number one pick if, if Victor was not in this draft. He's NBA ready. He's got NBA speed. He's got NBA downhill game. He's an NBA competitor. Uh, he's been in the Ignite G League for two years, so he's been in the NBA circles, if you will, in terms of teaching, in terms of shooting a three-point shot. Now, that's that's the part of his game that needs to improve. He's a capable three-point shooter. He needs to become a consistent three-point shooter. But all the things I just mentioned to you, uh, those are NBA-ready. His speed in the open court, he can go from 0 to 60 in the drop of a hat. Um, physically, he's ready for the NBA. Uh, competitiveness-wise, he's ready for the NBA. His jump shot, again, needs the most work, but he's pretty good. Actually, he's very good from the mid-range. So when teams play drop coverage, he can get in and make the pull-up. But I would think he would, would have been the number one pick if Victor uh, Wembenyama was not in this draft. And then one quick follow-up. How early are these guys put on your radar as an analyst, as someone who scouts guys and looks at you know where they might be coming from? Because for us, you know, we might – here, Victor Wimanyamba, and he got famous, I think, generally, probably in the last year or so. But I'm sure someone had to see him coming, you know, a few years ago before it became, okay, this guy's a franchise-altering player. Right, and that's a great question because when it comes to the United States kids, I mean, they play every week in the offseason. Every weekend I am either watching an event on film, Synergy Film, or other platforms, or I'm at a live event, or I'm at a camp watching the best players in the country in different classes. I'm watching seniors, juniors, sophomores, and sometimes I peak at freshmen. Um, but w- when you're looking at players, you, you start to build a resume, a, a portfolio on them, and you look at you know the obvious things first, the physical measurables, the age, and then you start to look at skill level. Certainly you look at competitiveness, and I have a whole series of markers that I'm looking at at a young age. And then you track those guys. You're, you're looking at consistent performances. And then you're looking at dominating performances. And then I try to keep track of, you know, their productivity level. Because some guys, you know, can be like the stock market. They go up and they go down. And, and, and that's to be expected during the high school years. So I'm looking for the guys that separate themselves, that are consistently dominant uh, on the court over the course of time. But a lot of names come at you, a lot of fluff out there, a lot of hype out there right now with social media, so you have to separate uh, what's, what's real and relevant. Paul, last question for you. I want to take a trip up to West Lafayette for just a second. Obviously, uh, a lot of a lot of bitter thoughts, at least from the fan base, with how things went in the NCAA tournament last year. When you look at the state of their roster right now, when you look at Miles Colvin coming in, a local product in that regard, and you look at the Zach Eady question of it all, how much about Purdue next year changes based on Eady's decision, and what do you see out of Matt Painter and the Boilermakers in 2023? Well, I mean, if if Zach Eady doesn't come back, I mean, that's a huge blow. But this program uh, that Matt Painter has put together and and played at for such a long time, I mean, they're going to pick it up 
on a collective basis. So it's not a program where they lose somebody that it's, it's I mean, he's a dominating player. And, and if he comes back, I mean, they put themselves in the same position again next year, which is a chance to, you know, get to a final four. You know, when I say that, it's really hard to do that guys. When mm-hmm. I was at Ohio, I mean, it, you, not only do you have to be good, but you have to be healthy and, so many things have to go right on a chemistry uh, standpoint, and then it's who you play against and, and when you play that team. And we saw matchups over the years be, be a big problem. But I think when you look at Purdue, it's the system, right? It's Matt Painter's system. The ability to bring in guys that, you know, Braden Smith was a four-star recruit, wasn't a ranked player, had a fantastic year. Player development system, uh, Matt Painter's always going to be there. They're, they'll overachieve when they're not that talented, and when they are talented, they'll have a real shot. Uh, to go deep. And if, if Z, Edie comes back, I mean, I don't want to get them overly excited, but you're looking at a chance for a, a, another opportunity to go to a Final Four. You got Lawyer back, Smith. Uh, you got a good cast of characters coming back. And, and I love Miles Coleman. He's a four star recruit, tough, thick body. And then I believe they have the transfer from Southern Illinois, uh, mm-hmm. Blanche. Yep. So there's toughness with that program every year. Zach Edie gives them the talent that they need to have a great year. He's Paul Biancardi, recruiting director for ESPN College Basketball and NBA Draft Analyst. Coach, always appreciate you making the time for us, and I would assume if I haven't plugged it already, we'll find you across the family of networks throughout the next couple months. There's no other place to be, right, Jimmy? (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that, Paul. (laughs) Thank you for making the time. Thanks so much. That's Paul Biancardi. Nice to take some time with us here on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still hanging out in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison. This is The Fan on 107.5-93.5. Midday show. It's been a great day so far. And now we have Shane Young. NBA reporter who covers the NBA at large for Forbes. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing great, James. Long time no talk. Glad to finally be in this, you know, the the thick of the playoff uh, battles right now. So got a couple rounds down, a couple more to go. Exactly. See, this is why I love Shane and my other NBA friends. I don't talk to them for like months, just beyond Twitter. <laughs> and I shoot him a text. He's like, yeah, I'm on. I'm like, yes, we need you. Thank you. <laughs> but um, jokes aside, obviously the excitement here in Indianapolis is about the draft lottery. Um, I've been spamming hashtag Wimby to Indy all day. (laughs) But beyond that, how deep do you think this draft class is? You know, the Pacers are percentages wise in like that seven range. But beyond that top five, do you think there are players here who can still help, you know, change that franchise if they were to go that route? So I don't necessarily think they're franchise changing players. Mm -hmm. I think there's, it's actually funny you mentioned it from the indie perspective. I think there's a bunch of players like a Ben Matherin, like mm-hmm. like players that are good and they're going to have good long term futures. But I don't necessarily think that there are a lot of uh, perennial all stars. Uh, you know, someone said this the other day. Like, you think about Mikael Bridges. Like, Bridges is probably going to be. I know it's a random name to think about, but he's probably going to be what like a two or three time all star when it's all said and done. Like, I don't think he's going to make that many. Um, like all NBA teams or something like that. I don't think he's going to be like an incredibly uh, franchise-altering guy for Brooklyn. I think he's going to be really good. I think there's going to be guys like that, mm-hmm. um, guys that 
are going to come in and improve throughout the years. Uh, maybe not make it. Maybe not make a huge impact right away. Like I think you saw Ben Matherin didn't obviously like really change the outlook of the Pacers season by any means, but he's a fun, interesting guy. So I think there's going to be a lot of guys in this draft class like that, but but probably not a lot of guys like Victor or Scoot. Shane, we just had Paul Biancardi, director of recruiting and an NBA draft analyst as well for ESPN on. He, to a similar tone that you just had there, basically painted it as Victor Wembanyama can change a franchise. It's not to say that maybe others couldn't below him in this order, guys like Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, but even though there are no guarantees, Wembanyama's the closest thing in this draft, and then it's everybody else in terms of how you're ranking tiers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's going to be a lot of tiers where there's probably like eight to ten guys in that same, in that same tier. Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys that are similar. Um, from what I've been seeing, you know, I, I'm not really big. I think James knows. I'm not really big into, like, draft uh, analysis this time of year. Like, I kind of just like to wait until um, the, the last couple of weeks before the draft to kind of cram everything in just because of the playoff madness. But um, I've seen a lot of, like, a lot of wings, a lot of uh, wings that can shoot the ball. Just a, a lot of six, eight, six, nine guys, six, seven guys that you know, you you get them into your franchise, you get them under the right um, training staff and coaching staff, and you can mold those guys into the star. And so I know we talked a lot about, at least through Twitter, you know, the tiers of players, how we view players, and what I, I've always admired about your work is you do provide a healthy level of information to back up whatever stance you have and, and I'm saying this all to say with Tyrese Halliburton when you look at what he did for this franchise I don't look at him as someone who could be like a superstar number one player on a championship level team mm-hmm. but what do you think of the leap he made mm-hmm. from last year to this year and another leap that he could possibly make going into another season yeah, I was just incredibly impressed by Tyrese this year, just from the from the perspective of I think something that doesn't really get talked about a lot is his leadership, um, just his mentality. I know it's like you know buzzwords that you hear around all the time, like it's like intangible stuff that you can't really point to. But I think he is the perfect guy for the Pacers because you know was he like twenty three, gonna be twenty four next season? Um, he just seems like a mature guy. He just seems like a good, healthy leader for that group. Um, a team that really has needed something, someone like that, and can make the right play. I think his pick and roll reads have been top five in the NBA uh, this year. Um, I know he, obviously Pacers didn't it didn't really yield a, a playoff spot for them, but I think you know his injury had a lot to do with that. You know, played 56 games um, I, I, when he came into the NBA. I knew he was going to be a good shooter just from you know if you look at percentages and, and kind of like. Uh, extrapolate that out to what he's going to do um, in the NBA, but I did not see seven attempts a game, the type of volume, if you combine the volume and efficiency for Halliburton, I kind of didn't expect him to be that kind, that type of gunner from three, and I think for him to get the confidence to hey, we need to get more of those shots up, we need to create better opportunities, we need to, we need to uh, lean into the threes more, I, that's something, you know, I was covering the Pacers, you know, 2014, 2015, 16, around there, kind of stopped after that, but um, you, you would beg those teams. You would beg the Paul George led teams to shoot more threes. So I, I really think that that he has a really good understanding of what a good team shot pro, shot profile should be, how to get to those shots, um, how to keep his guys involved. And I think his next probably 
uh, area of growth is maybe finishing downhill, getting to the rim more, maybe um, becoming a better finisher in, in the paint, which, you know, that that's something that any any player in their first two or three years is going to, I wouldn't say you struggle with that by any means, but it's something that, you know, that's where you can look at because I know De'Aaron Fox is what in year six, seven, so mm-hmm. I don't know what he's in, year five maybe, but he finished like seventy percent uh, in the restricted area this year. It, it was the it was the number one thing aside from his mid range shooting that took a leap. So I think just fine tuning those areas is where Halliburton can uh, can improve this year or next year, I should say. Shane Young with us covers the NBA for Forbes. Shane, let's head out to the conference finals now. West Finals get underway tonight, eight thirty p.m. on ESPN. You can get it right here as well on the fan. We'll join that game and progress at nine o'clock after beyond the bricks track side before that but Shane when you look at this matchup between Denver and LA obviously much like the Celtics and the Heat we know it's a bubble rematch we know all these teams are, are wildly different outside of the, the mm-hmm. true stars and they were when they met in the bubble but first with LA and Denver can the Lakers defense continue to carry the mold that has pushed them to the fi- the conference finals to this point against this Denver offense such a great question because they the, the Lakers have played two series so far and it's been completely different. Like in Memphis, you don't have to worry about as, as much half court execution and movement. It's it's the jaw show, uh, high pick and roll. If you can shut that down, you're not really concerned about outside shooting outside Luke Kennard. Now the next series was Golden State, just constant motion. Just I mean, you have to account for everything, and I think they did a good job of answering that. The Lakers did. They. They really top-locked their guys, forced them into the paint, and so we're not getting beat from three. And even in the game that Golden State made 21 threes, like they, the Lakers still were more the more physical team and got to the foul line and ended up winning the math game that way. Um, against the Nuggets, it's a completely different animal because if there's one unstoppable force in the NBA – I wouldn't even say it's Giannis because Giannis, you can you kind of have answers for. You can make him a little bit uncomfortable by sending help his way. With Jokic, there is no answer. There is simply no answer. And if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna put Anthony Davis on him, I think Jokic is smart enough and crafty enough to possibly try to get him in foul trouble. And then you're kind of screwed if you're the Lakers. So I think it, 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 the Lakers are going to have to have a interesting chess match between how much do we want to balance putting AD on him. And either wearing them, you know, getting AD worn down for the entire game because Jokic, Jokic is just a machine um, on and off the ball, which you don't ever say about the center. Um, or do we kind of like put hide AD somewhere else, kind of roam, put him on Aaron Gordon, kind of roam off of him, make the Nuggets others beat you from three? Um, it's something that defensively I'm, I'm so interested in to see what the Lakers do. But I guess long winded way of saying I think they can, I think they can figure out a way to. Um, limit Denver's offense, you're not going to stop it because once they start overreacting to something, whether it's the others making shots or Jokic making shots in single coverage, once you start overreacting to something, that's when Denver pick really, really makes you pay and torments you from in the half court because uh, I saw it up, up close and personal with the Clippers. Like the, the Clippers in some, in some games against Denver, they would double Jokic, then he would just pick them apart with the pass and they would create 20 open threes for other people. Um, whether it's Michael Porter Jr., who is yet to really get going, he he's got to really. I think this is going to be a huge Michael Porter Jr. series because they need guys that can that can get up threes. They need guys that can um, make the defense pay whenever Jokic is, is absorbing all that defensive attention. So um, it's going to be tough. I, I, with the Lakers, it, the the biggest thing is is how much of the LeBron 
like how much does LeBron have left in the tank? Because he saved it all. I think we all saw he LeBron saved it all for Game Six against the Warriors. He didn't really have a big breakout performance till then. So is he going to be able to replicate that many times? So you make a point about Michael Porter Jr. I think he has the best job in the NBA because all he has to do is just catch passes from Jokic and shoot. I, th- I know you've seen the jokes about him where he doesn't pass at all and he has these g- great games sometimes where it's like 24 points or something on like seven threes with zero assists and it's just so funny that that's become like a narrative but he's a really good player. Um, now going out east, Shane, what do you think the key is for the Heat to continue to slay these Dragons? Because obviously they seem to make the most of every break they get. Yeah. I, my, dude, it's a good question because Miami – it, it sounds so – like you don't want to say this about a team that's in the conference finals because they're in the conference finals for a reason, right? They're good. Um, but I think I think Miami just has to pray that Boston misses uh, from everyone else. I think they have to pray that the others miss because – I think they have enough physical tools that he do to kind of, I would say, replicate the uh, replicate what Philly did to Jason Tatum, make him play in a crowd. Um, I remember one game specifically, Game Four, where that was the game that Philly won, I believe, where uh, it, it was, you know, the Tatum was attacking the half court, and they just sent bodies at him and, and forced him to turn the ball over. He, he had a, a few critical turnovers down the stretch of that game, and they ended up losing overtime. But it's it's kind of that. Like Miami has to shrink the floor, make him get rid of it. Because I mean, if Tatum's going to beat you in single coverage, then you kind of tip your cap. But um, I, I think they have to force Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White to make shots. And if the, if if that happens, then you lose. You lost to the second seed, and you're the eighth seed. Uh, I think Miami has a chance to win a couple games here in this series. But it, if they go down 0-2, I don't think you're beating the Celtics team. Uh, four out of five times. So I, I think they have to steal one of the first two. Shane. Shane, appreciate you making time for us. Looking forward to following your coverage along for the rest of these conference finals. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy every second of it just like we will. Thanks, guys. You have a good one. You, you too. too, man. That's Shane Young for Forbes.